Good evening, everybody. Matt DeMarinas here um, from White and Blue Review, uh, sitting here with Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, we're going to try to knock out a, a 2020 version of the Blue Jay Beat podcast, a post-game wrap-up of the Creighton's first game, finally back on the floor. Um, John, I believe you were in the arena, right? You were masked up for the presser, so I don't think you were doing that at home, were you? Were you at the office? No, there's more press box. Hockey press box, baby. That's right. Hockey. Um, you know, before we jump into the game, um, because I don't know, it, 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 it is worth going over, but it's hard to tell how much of that is what we're, what we're going to see out of the group versus how much of it is rust factor. So I just, I kind of want your vibe on what it felt like to, I don't know, be in the arena without any hardly any fans other than family and Creighton staff, and then what it seemed like the players were doing in terms of like creating energy to play off each other and sustain a forty-minute game like that. If you notice anything, I mean, the the impression I got was it really wasn't that different for the players. Um, I would imagine maybe there's probably a little bit less emotion that was that they showed at times. Um, you know, when you're watching them, sometimes they can be really intentional about trying to get the crowd going and interacting with the fans. But, you know, Christian Bishop, so how many times did guys dive on the floor? Three or four times. Christian Bishop had that one really nice save of a rebound in the second half. Um, you still saw at times – well. Sharif Mitchell came in and hounded the basketball and sort of upped the intensity level defensively. I felt like they moved the ball well. They attacked in transition. Um, it seemed pretty normal. Like, I, I could hear him talking, you know, all the way up from the six. You could, I, Mitch Ballack had that block, and uh, I heard him say, give me that oh, really? <laughs> from the 6-4 press box. So, I just – it felt – pretty normal honestly from that aspect just from the way if you just looked at the players and how they approached it like I think that you could tell that they were really ready to play finally um and oh we talked to Christian Bishop after the game and he seemed to indicate that like yeah it's different not having the fans there but you know he can still play hard and they can you know once they kind of get into the game flow Boom! They can. It, it it feels. It felt normal or somewhat normal. Um, what did you think on like, what the TV broadcast tell you as you watch those guys play? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I you, you could definitely hear. I mean, even on the TV broadcast, you could hear more communication than you'd normally hear on a normal TV broadcast. Like you could hear Mac. You could hear practically everything Mac said. Um, really? Yeah, his instructions were. I mean, if you know what to listen for, you know who's saying it. I guess is my point. Yeah. People who. Another interesting. Really tidbit was that I could hear some play calls right one instance where I think coach McDermott had a play call yelled out a play call and immediately the opposing bench repeated that play call and uh, jotted it down for their notes and scouting reports in the future so I thought that was interesting yeah (laughs) that's a new wrinkle for the 2020-21 season that uh, there are going to be no secrets right no I mean I think even Flan mentioned that after yesterday's game against Northern Iowa was that 
they watched Northern Iowa's game against Iowa and her and learned all their play calls because they could hear them on the broadcast. Like, so they knew, they kind of knew the signals and everything. It's going to be kind of funny for coaches who are kind of uptight about that kind of thing, like Greg McDermott, like Jay Wright, yeah. um, who do a lot in terms of their theatrics to kind of cover up their, their calls from the sideline. That's going to probably, as much as it's an adjustment for players playing without fans, that might be an adjustment for coaches coaching without fans. Right. Something else. So that was, those were my observations from. And I, did I hear too guys. that like technical fouls are up early on in the year too? I think I heard something like really? that where, yeah, like refs so, also can hear every word that the players are saying. So. Yeah, I think I, from player technical fouls makes sense. Uh, I do think the coaches are getting away with a little bit more, though, because the masks are muffling some of the mother F-bombs, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I feel like Bobby Hurley was in normal T-range, you know, as is, as is typical of his behavior, but he might have gotten away with it because the mask might have hmm. muffled some of the uh, emphasis he puts on those the, like, colorful language of his. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely there, – there are going to be new little kind of quirks uh, that weren't always um, as apparent in the typical season. But other than that, it, it seemed like a normal, you know, it seemed like watching a scrimmage, obviously, because you don't hear the energy of the crowd. I don't think Creighton pumped in any crowd noise. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, it didn't sound like they did. Um, no. You can hear it on like Nebraska's broadcasts. That crowd noise is like constant. You know, it's artificial. So, but I don't think, I, I didn't hear any on Creighton's end. So it didn't sound like they pumped in any, or in the arena. No, I mean, yeah, you could hear, like I said, you could hear everything on the court um, the, from the players' shoes squeaking to, you know, like I said, Ballet reacting, the emotional shouts from players, McDermott's play calls. So um, it was a pretty – it was definitely a different environment. But from an energy standpoint, I don't think it impacted Creighton in this first game. That That was just my – Observation. It looked a lot like we've seen it look over the last few months for these, or the last what year for this for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'm curious to get your impressions on before we, uh, you know, I, I know we want to jump into the game, but before we do that, I kind of want to like just get your perspective on it because I know you've been super cautious about, um, you know, going out in public and and doing all those sorts of things. And I know you, I know you're the type of guy who kind of keeps his emotions like close to the chest. Um, but I wonder like, was there a part of you who, uh, when you got there, I don't know, like savored it a little bit. The fact that, cause you were there on March 12th in New York when it stopped. And now here we are like 200 and almost 270 days later, it's restarting under, just unprecedented circumstances. Did, did, did a part of you feel any different about covering the Jays today in person? Did you, was there more appreciation, same appreciation? Did, was, did you get lost in any of that at all? Or did you just kind of focus? Interesting. Yeah. You know, I probably should have thought about it more. You know, I probably should have just like consumed the moment a little bit. I didn't. Um, I just sort of sat down and immediately picked up the binoculars and started looking for who was <laughs> – on the court warming up and who wasn't um, to try to figure out who was going to be available. And so now as I sort of reflect on it, I mean, there's like a historical significance to that game and there will be uh, sort of, it, it'll be tied to this entire season. The fact that this thing's getting played during a pandemic and 
it's just going to look totally different. I mean, I, I'm glad to have something to report on and I love basketball, love college basketball. So I feel really fortunate to be able to do this. Um, and I'm also, I, I don't know, there's a part of me that's, that's happy for the players. I know how hard they've worked. And um, every time that I've talked to one of them over the off season, you just kind of get that sense that they just want to have the opportunity to play and showcase what they've been working on. And they know how special this group is and they want to get the chance to prove themselves um, over the course of the season and obviously, obviously in March. And so I'm, I feel really glad that I can help chronicle that and kind of tell the story of the team as it goes through those. I mean, it's inevitable the ups and downs of this season are going to be wild and, and hopefully we get to the finish line and, and um, you know, for the Jaysakes, yeah, you obviously hope that they like the result when they get there. So yeah. um, it'll be fun. It'll be weird, but it'll be fun. And that, that was a, what today was. Today was fun, but mm-hmm. it was a little weird. That's what it kind of felt like. I mean, I'm not surprised by your answer that I was. I didn't mean to lead you into that, but of the two of us, I'm definitely the more emotional, like the more up and down emotionally of the two of us. You seem more even keel. Um, but it, it it was hard to escape. It was hard to get it out of my mind that I'm like, I'm watching. I even started getting text messages from people like. Um, the minute your report came in that Denzel wasn't, uh, cause I think you were a little bit ahead of that. I, I, yours was the first one I saw. So, um, that Denzel was not available today or he wasn't dressed 20 minutes before tip off. I think is how you um, reported it. Um, I was already getting like those same, you know, that same anxiety that comes with, um, Oh no, what's, what, what does this mean? Like, what, how is Creighton going to perform? And like, in my mind, just, I never got out of the train of thought where it was like, I just want these guys to get back what was kind of like taken from them, you know, beyond like due to circumstances beyond their control. You know what I mean? Like I just want, I couldn't ever, you know, watching them struggle offensively to, you know, shooting and all those sorts of things. Like all the, all that felt like back of, back of, back of mind to me because I was just like, I just was great to be out there. Like considering March 7th was, probably you could argue the height of the program and there was so much emotion in that moment, especially as the, the seconds wound down and the, you know, the reality set in, they were biggest champs. And then to go to New York and, you know, all that energy before tip off was like, are we even going to play? Um, and then the whole first half felt like, is this basically the last few minutes of the season? So it never, I never focused a hundred percent on who's doing what or who looks good or how that kind of thing is, even though it was definitely part of the conversation that I was having with people. It was like, I'm just, I'm, I can't help but focus on the fact that they're back on the court and it didn't feel like that we were going to get to that point. You know, um, there were a lot of teams last year, not, maybe not a lot. There are a few teams last year that were like Creighton in that they had this really special season that maybe, was an outlier in the terms of the arc of their program history. Mm-hmm. And they were set up for what could have been a really fun March. And then it got taken away from them. And so I think a lot of those teams, especially those that bring a lot of players back, like they, they probably enter this season feeling a little bit differently. And and when you think about Creighton too, just they, they found out, as you mentioned, they found out in New York city, their season's canceled. They were all kind of scattered across the city, hanging out. Um, so they they didn't regroup as a team, like everyone back 
together in the same spot until August. Mm-hmm. Spent the summer spread out at their various hometowns working out. Some guys came back to Omaha for portions of the summer. But um, I think that each one of them, I would imagine, at various points during the off season had a sort of like, like a realization of, you know, what, you know, maybe not taking these things for, not taking college basketball, this experience for granted, but then also, you know, the, the, what if sort of those dread moments of dread where you're like, well, what if, what if we don't get to play? And so, and I think that hit home this last couple of weeks. I mean, I was talking with Damian Jefferson for an interview before the season, just a week before this start of the season, I think it was, it was like a couple of days before Creighton announced that it was going to uh, shut down. And he mentioned that in the group text, the team group text, they were texting about like, how many games are we going to play? Or are we going to start on time? Or like, it, it's just sort of an, uh, an ongoing conversation that everyone's going to have. And as a season, even though the season started, it's like, man, are they going to play Tuesday? Like, are they going to play Friday? We don't know. There's very little stability, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I think anytime you get an opportunity to get out there and play, given the circumstances, yeah, I think you celebrate and uh, you're grateful for that. And it, I felt that vibe. I don't know. I felt that vibe from the team today. Um, and that was sort of my perspective on it too. It's like, you got to be glad that you got some basketball, even though it's not like, again, it, I was thinking one of the things I wrote <laughs> in my story was like this this whole setup, like the game, it did not flow the way that you would want a season opener to flow. Um, the crowd, there was no crowd, you know, the whole experience of day one for a team that was going to, that brings back four starters from last year, um, preseason number 11 in the country. Like this is supposed to be like just a party, right? Day mm-hmm. one, first game, blow them out. Everyone celebrates, um, splashing threes, dunk party, all that stuff. But it didn't happen like that. And that, you know, you can sort of sulk in that a little bit mm-hmm. or you can just celebrate the fact that you actually got to play. And I think the latter is what Creighton's guys did, will, will do or did Sunday. And then obviously they'll try to get back to work and get better on Monday. Yeah. I think, you know, that's kind of where I think I land because it's hard to ignore the circumstances of, you know, only, you know, I think Greg McDermott said they only had one full 40 minute team scrimmage. Um, because of the numbers game they've had to play with people in and out of practice and in quarantine and injured and whatnot. Um, and then there was no closed scrimmage. There was no exhibition season. So they're kind of just like, that was this today was the get their kinks out, get their kinks worked out. Also it was coming out of a pause. So like they haven't, they haven't been, you know, practicing full on, you know, without interruptions leading into it in the first place. So I think in, in my mind, I expected there to be, you know, some bumps along the way, even in this game. Like, uh, North Dakota State, I think, has played uh, – this was their third game of the season, right? Yeah, they're coming off a of back-to-back against Nebraska, obviously. So they weren't at 100% energy level. But, it, you know, it, it's just – it felt like two different – two different, you know, they were on two different wavelengths at some points um, in terms of their energy and their effectiveness. And I think that was kind of like – you know, that was kind of showcased a little bit in how, um, you know, Creighton didn't turn the ball over a lot, which was good. So that would lend you to believe that they weren't sloppy and they were sharp. But to me, it felt like they weren't, like, totally cohesive in terms of, like, 
their timing, especially when the set screens, um, which way to go off of them, which way to slip or pop roll, all that stuff kind of felt like it was still being in the early stages of being worked out. It felt like guys were hesitating a little bit on their shots uh, on the catch um, or whether to drive or pump fake or, you know, get in the paint and, and, and spray like all the foundations of what they are and what makes them good. That to me felt a little clunky, even though you look at the assist turnover ratio. And then if you probably look at the shot quality, they probably got a high number of quality shots. They usually knock down at a pretty good clip. So it is kind of like, I don't know. Do you agree or disagree? hundred uh, percent. agree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good breakdown because like um, on the surface, especially when you look at the shots that they got and, you know, obviously 69 points, you're thinking, Oh, that wasn't a great offensive showing. But then when you watched it and you saw how many open shots, Mitch Ballack and Marcus Zagorowski missed, and you're thinking, well, those guys are both 40% three point shooters in their career. Like it's easy to see and Denzel Mahoney didn't play. So it's easy to see, Oh, that could have easily been in the eighties, like in, in it, like just, um, there's just an odd sort of experience there. But if you really get down into the the weeds or start analyzing the details like you're talking about, some of the intricacies of what Creighton does, like they really were kind of far off from where they um, – wh- what their standards – their standards are really high. Like they're one of the best offenses in the country. And, uh, and so I think you're right in that they had um, – they just – it just didn't click as, as well as perhaps um, – it well, as it will. It will at some point in the years as they kind of get – used used to playing again but i thought i just thought yeah i thought like passes weren't as crisp um maybe they were just surprised they were open because like north dakota state packed in the lane pretty good and yeah. took away the role on on the on the um on the lot or, or on the ball screen plays that, that creighton does so there were a lot of throwback threes open so maybe that was like what <laughs> you leaving us you letting us shoot okay <laughs> um and and I think I don't think there was. I sorry to interrupt, but I don't think there was anyone near Mitch within like ten feet either direction on his first one that he made. Right, like he was right. he was clean open. Uh, nuts. And yeah. Marcus had a few of those too. Uh, but it also could have just been you know not having Denzel in the lineup, who's going to be a primary ball handler for him. Like, and moving DJ from the the four to the three. I don't know how much that. I know he's worked on that in practice, but how much have they really had a chance to? Uh, work with that lineup. Um, so maybe that was part of it too, but could also just been first game jitters. But yeah, I, I didn't, I thought there were just little things that um, I think you'll see improve. I think what McDermott say, communication and timing were the two things that he mentioned mm-hmm. that'll, that'll improve each game. And, and you'll see him. They'll, they'll be, I, I remember there was a one play where like, um, maybe just like, passes there was one pass to like i wish i could remember the circumstance but i'm just recalling off the top of my head like in the second half where uh maybe there's like a pass back to mitch and it's just a little bit off if it's on target he probably pulls from three but it's a little bit off and they have to like reset and run their offense and those little things like that you'll see improvement as the uh as the year goes on. But I thought, I thought your point about the screen and the timing of setting screens and running around those and knowing where to be there, the screening, I thought, well, that was something that I noticed too. And I think that'll get better, obviously, as, as they get more reps. So the uh, jumping into like the meat of the game a little bit, obviously North Dakota State got off of that 10 to four start. Um, 
And then from my impressions, it felt like Creighton kind of – obviously Antoine Jones got going, um, which is a good sign because he certainly showed some of the things that he had shown last year on scout team um, in practice. But it felt like the defensive end of the floor kind of like changed the game a little bit for them. And, and Mac did mention that Sharif kind of flipped it for them with his energy on that level uh, or on that side of the ball. Uh, did, what, what did you notice the minute he got into the game and kind of, you know, started heating up? What, how do you say Gristle's Gr- Gristle's last name? Is that Sam? Grizzle. Grizzle. Okay. Yeah. Is that my, right? My fault. I think that's right. I apologize if anyone's listening that cares. Um, all the Lincoln East, all the Lincoln East folks, man, they're offended right now. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lincoln. My bad. They're like, I'll, do, I'll do better next time they play us over. Um, it it did feel like Sharif kind of set the tone a little bit in terms of breaking that early rhythm that North Dakota State kind of got into with uh, you know feeding Rocky and, and getting Sam going. Um, so I guess from your perspective, did, what, what type of impact do you think Sharif had on the game in terms of just flipping it a little bit to give Creighton some energy? I mean, honestly, the, as soon as he subbed in and started heating up the ball, like the energy of the bench, you could hear them start shouting and clapping. You know how they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that that low that tone. What we've seen a thousand times over in practice. Yeah. Right. The low tone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you you start hearing that from the bench, and all of a sudden, um, you know, the next guy who's guarding the ball is up a little bit closer, and then the next guy, and then they're starting to get some more deflections and bother them a little, bother North Dakota State a little bit more, and the turnover number keeps going up and up and up. Um, he made a he made a significant impact. Reef did um, defensively. You know, he will. That's kind of who he is. But you just think about. Like that's that's probably going to happen at other points in, in in the year when a ball handler starts hot, um, and what did, what do the Jays do to sort of counter that? And if if all they have to do is deploy Sharif and say Reef take care of that, uh, that's a pretty good option to have, and that's what worked, um, and that's what worked worked today. So. Um, and, and then on the other side of the ball, I thought his confidence to step into that jumper and take it was good. Same yeah. with Damian Jefferson. Both of those guys struggled to shoot three last year, but they worked on their jump shots over the offseason, spent a lot of time on it. And uh, they shot it for the most part without hesitation. So I thought that was good. To, that's, to the, that's, the, that's the important part, right? Like Reef last year wouldn't pull unless he was basically told by the other four guys on the floor to shoot, right? Like, yeah. He was left open for a reason and kind of had to be encouraged even on a catch to let it go. Um, but that first one, he seemed like he was ready to let it go the minute it was kind of – I know. He know, surprised me when he let it go. I was like, oh, you shooting that? Okay. <laughs> okay, he's got that confidence now. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a problem. That was probably the most impressive part. Not, you know, not that he made it. It was that the confidence with which he took it, like yeah. on a catch immediately into his shot um, in rhythm, no hesitation. That kind of clearly tells you he's more confident in that than he was last year, which yeah. speaks, which kind of like, I guess, uh, builds off of what Greg McDermott said about him being, you know, one of the candidates for most improved along with Christian Bishop, who, we obviously saw the manifestation of that in the second half. Um, 
Yeah, well, one of the things that a lot of people talked about with Creighton over the offseason was, okay, the Jays are going to lose Tyshawn Alexander. How do they replace him? And the, it was an unknown, obviously, and we're still learning this, but, like, the improvement of Sharif Mitchell and the, you know, and inserting Antoine Jones into the rotation, like, those two guys, that's why their roles are so important for Creighton this year uh, because they can help sort of, pick up some of the production that is now needed on both ends of the floor for the Jays um, because, you know, Sharif was, he's a freshman last year, you know, and, and he got hurt at time. He was out for the, out of the lineup for what it was a, a concussion, I think for a few games. Mm-hmm. And there are moments when he, he, I think he admitted that he just kind of lost his confidence a little bit. So he's a different player now. And Antoine Jones is blended into the system nicely and he can make the, an impact on the game in multiple ways, the same way Reef can. So they're, uh, they're like the, like every game that you go into it, they're the X factors. How, how much of an impact can they make? Because they said that they, they, what they can do can elevate Creighton to even uh, loftier heights uh, just because they give them a different, they give them a change up and they're, they're two pieces that are part of the equation that maybe uh, those who are projecting where they think Creighton will be or, or, wondering what what Creighton can do that you kind of forget about because you just don't know yeah and so that's I thought they both had good you know game ones let's jump into the the big man a little bit and then maybe we'll finish with Marcus and Mitch um you know you know Mac has talked about he's kind of alluded to a little bit having a if not if not a significant presence in the post that three-headed monster potential with with Epperson, if he's if he's healthy enough to you know play a couple rotations, um, with Christian Bishop and his improved jump shot, and with Ryan Kalkbrenner with the way he just can affect the game with his length, both finishing on the offensive end and, and erasing mistakes on the other end. Um, your early impressions, first of all, of Christian Bishop, because obviously that second half was the start to that second half was extremely impressive. Not only you know, the finishing ability has kind of always been there, but that, that face-up jumper on the baseline from about 19 feet with a, with a seven-footer kind of in his face, uh, maybe there was a little bit of space there, but the hand was still up. You know, that wasn't an easy clean look, and he still, you know, let it go with no hesitation and knocked it down. What were your, what were your takeaways from maybe what, 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 we're, what we're probably expecting to be kind of a breakout year for him, I guess, from, from the early reports? Right, right, right. I, I, uh, I was. I think it was good to see what he did in the second half to start the second half because I was. He does it sometimes where he kind of like sort of feels the game out a little bit, and, and part of it's not all on him here because he's. It's not like he's bringing the ball up. Right, like he has, the players have to his guards have to find him, and they did to start. But I, I don't know. I mean, they went, posted up and had a move on the block and scored on one of those. And like you said, that jump shot, he shot that, like, as soon as the ball hit his hands, I felt like it was out. Like he was, <laughs> he, he, he set his feet way before that ball got there. Like he was ready to shoot that, that, that jumper and show that improved stroke off. Um, he's, well, he fired up a three, didn't he? Yep. Uh, yep. Didn't knock it down first the first half, half but. Yeah. I, think yeah. Missed, I think he missed it back iron. So yeah, I think it was on just was long. I mean, it seems like his game, like, I don't know, man. It seems like the sky's the limit. He he seems like he's the new age 
sort of versatile five man that right. a lot yeah. of teams in, co- in college and the NBA want. And now you have an improved shooting percentage from three point range or, or that mid range, that's important. Mm-hmm. But with the way that he can handle the ball on the perimeter and set those guys up with screens, like you have to, you have to stay attached to him anyway, even if you're not necessarily quote unquote respecting his jumper, you have to be up yeah. on him to help out on the screen. So like an, spaces, OB, like an OB Toppin type player, right? Like, yeah. He, you know. he spaces the floor right. just because he can, he forces that five man to come out and help on a screen. Um, and, you know, he can go, he can win one-on-one battles in isolation situations. He has so much, he brings hustle and energy to the game. Um, I feel like he'll always be under-regarded or underrated just because he's a six-seven center and everyone's like, uh, he, he must have some limitations as a five because he can't, but, but I don't know, not, not within the locker room, you know, those, the, the Creighton players really appreciate his impact. And um, I think, well, it's, I, I just thought that that last year, the second half of last season, he was vital to what they did. And, uh, and I think, it, you know, judging from what Coach McDermott told you about his off season, like you're going to see just, you're going to see more of it, uh, more of what you saw in the second half. Like he's, they were so the Jays were so efficient to start the second half, be, largely because of Christian Bishop, yeah. sort of going to work, and uh, obviously they're going to try to do more of that with him. But uh, he's and he's going to have the opportunity to do that because there's going to be so much attention paid to Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballack, and and Denzel Mahoney on the perimeter. So yeah. things are going to be open for him to to go to work, and I'm ex- I'm I'm sort of, I'm eager to see sort of all that offseason work, what he did, and. and um, the impact that it has no big thing was he's stronger i don't know could you tell that uh, from the sixth yeah, floor I mean, it's it hard to see that yeah, on tv did it show up it didn't look it didn't, it didn't it didn't jump off the screen to me but um yeah so that might be unfair of my perspective because i didn't i he just looked like he was i don't know more comfortable with his movements i guess is the best way I can say it, like he's more comfortable of who he is as a basketball player, knows what he's doing out there more. So I think it, it, he looked more comfortable than he did, like um, impressive physically, I guess, in terms mm-hmm. of that. That's the, probably the best way I can say it. But because I don't really have any insight into what he's in, what he's done in terms of his weight room. But I mean, Jeremy, Anderson, think, Jeremy, uh, Anderson, Jeremy Anderson has done wonders with these guys, so I can't I doubt that he's had some. Well, what do you think of Jacob Everson? Yeah, I thought, I, you know, if for being as uh as rusty as i expected i thought he was pretty good like um i thought his uh his elevation on uh you know contests at the rim was pretty good maybe it's not quite what it was for obvious reasons when he first got to campus um where he could just jump out of the gym and I mean, what was that? What was that Clemson game where he had to get that lob in transition? Yeah, that was some freakish athleticism, right? So, um, so it's not maybe it's not there in terms of how high end it can get. So the ceiling's lower. But I thought his, you know, I thought he is his fundamentals were really good in terms of walling up and and being long and and not being sloppy and uh, with contesting shots. I thought he got a couple, um, pretty clean. Uh, I think this. I think it, when I'm looking at like we talked about the screening game being a little clunky, I thought his 
his like timing and, and positioning on ball screens was probably the part that I felt was the most not up to where he was before in pre-injury. I think that's the part that's, that's probably going to take some time to get back um, because he had some plays where he was late on setting the screen um, or he didn't set it right. And uh, it, it didn't quite flow correctly, I guess. Um, so that was my impressions of him, but you know, just like, again, I'm going to tap into the emotions here. I apologize. But, like, he, you were in the gym. Because I remember I was moving into my my house, and you were at practice, and you texted me. You were like, Jacob just got hurt. And I was like, um, I was like, what did I say? I think it was like Paul George hurt or just like something else like hurt. You know what I mean? I don't remember what my comparison was. But when we talk about Paul George, we obviously know the type of break we're talking about. And you were like, Paul George hurt. And I was like, oh, my God. So you were in the gym when that happened. So I don't know if you can tap into what your reaction was then to what it was like seeing him back out on the floor, given what that recovery must have been like. I mean, it's, it's an awesome story. Um, and there's, there's really no – it's so hard to describe the work that has to go into getting yourself back on the court. I mean, it was a compound fracture, you know, like – painful gruesome i mean it was a devastating moment for a lot of the players who were there and for jacob obviously i mean he got he had to leave on a stretcher like to get yourself back um mentally and then obviously to do all the work physically it's it's really not it's obviously it's just really difficult and then you also think about you know, he had his sophomore season cut short. So, like, it was almost two years that he hadn't played a game and it dealt with a lot of pain and a lot of um, rehab. And even this this offseason and preseason had moments where he had to be held out of practice and he, he still will and they're going to limit his minutes. But it's, it's, it's a testament to his perseverance and his love for the game and his teammates. And you can see it from them when they talk about him, um, how much he means to them and how – energetic he he is upbeat he is and um how that kind of feeds to the rest of the team and so um yeah it was cool to see him out there and i echo i mean i i think your analysis is pretty spot on that there's obviously he's got some work to do but he, he showed pretty good timing on a couple of those blocks yeah yeah for sure and he's definitely not shy to shoot that three-pointer no he got up a couple right yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then the third big man, Ryan Kalkbrenner, you know, it it was just interesting to see Creighton, like, purposely tried as hard as they could to get the ball inside to a big man. Like, I don't – I know they did it with Martin Crample and, and Justin Patton um, in the quarter court, but, like, it just it, – it feels like it's been forever since we've seen – you know, Marcus, like, I think he – I think on one play, Marcus had um, a shooter, like, a little bit – with a little bit of space to his right on the top of the key when he was on the right – left left wing. Um, but he was, like, really trying to get Ryan a post feed on that kind of, like, low block extended area along on the baseline to let him go to work. Um, and it was just, like – Peyton's executing a post-up right here. <laughs> An old-fashioned, like, 90s guy on the block 
ball, you know, entry pass to a, to a big man. Like it, that was just the jarring part of it all. But, you know, on the other side of it, there was a lot of skill there. Like he finished, I think he finished over both shoulders um, on the offensive end. And certainly his ability to play long and erase shots um, was on display as well. Uh, so he seemed as advertised to me, at least. Um, what were your impressions of how he did in his, in his debut? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, what was he, like four or five on his post-ups? I, I know he got doubled once Yeah, and, and didn't convert, but the other times, maybe he was four for four when, he was, when it was single coverage. Mm-hmm. And the one miss was on like a little bit of a lob play, I think. He just maybe caught and turned and didn't. Yeah, I wasn't even counting that miss. I was oh, okay, kind of okay. a different, like just pure post-up situations. I'd have to go back and look. I'm just going off my memory. I didn't chart it, but um, that's what the coaches were saying. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's true. They were telling that's, us. Yeah. That, that he's good in, on the block, and they're going to have to find ways to use him. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how he starts handling. Teams are going to bring doubles, you know, or they're going to try to do things differently to him. How does he handle that? How does he handle bulkier dudes, yep. veterans? But good debut for him, for sure. For sure. Um, let's wrap up here with just uh, you know a little bit on Marcus and Mitch's uh, 2020, 2021 debut. Um, you know they obviously didn't shoot the ball like they're accustomed to shooting it, but I you know I think there is something to like what what Max said in the post game. If Marcus and Mitch are getting twenty shots, twenty threes, I think you're gonna be okay with that. Like, and you're gonna expect them to hit more than four of them collectively. So was that your impression? Were you pleased with – I mean, pleased is probably the wrong word, but were you – did you feel like Creighton, the 20 shots they got um, were 20 shots that Creighton wants them to get? I think, I think there was only one – there was only one that Marcus took that I feel like was probably a rushed one. I think he had a, a post guy on him, a big man on him, and he, and, he, and he did a little jab step to get a little bit of space, and he shot it up and missed it short. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That seemed like one where he pressed a little bit. But other than that, I don't really think I had um, an issue with any of the other 19. I felt like they were all like, yep, that's, that's, a, that's a shot. That's a good shot. That's a good shot. Like, I think that's fine. Like, yeah. So just in terms of that part of the game alone, um, did you feel like that was that – was, they were kind of like getting the shots they wanted them to get? Yeah, dude. I, I, the shots they got, I mean, when Marcus went seven for seven from three, he didn't get as many good looks. I know. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> that night that yes. he did today. Yes. Uh, when, when Mitch Ballack was 11 for 12, he did not get as many good looks as he did today. Yes. I'd have to go back and look. But he, they got some great looks. And so, yeah, I think that's what I, – I said that I, – I replied to someone, um, sent me a tweet after the game about it. Like, if they shoot the way they are – like norm, like reasonable expectations of what you would think they would shoot given those shots, nine or ten they'd hit combined, like nine of twenty or ten of twenty, and then all of a sudden the story of the game almost changes because that's fifteen, eighteen more points, and it's really not hard to imagine that they're they're going to do that again. Mitch Ballack's forty percent career um, from three, Marcus Agarelsi's forty two percent career from three, like. They're fine. They're great shooters, and, and I don't think you have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, you know the thing. That's it, it'd be one thing. Problem. It'd be one thing. I was gonna say real quick. It'd be one thing if you felt like they were forcing it because like Denzel's not in the lineup, Tyshawn's not there anymore, mm. and oh, you know Marcus Zagorowski 
two of 11 from three, he must have really been pressing. But it, all those shots came within the flow of the offense that I remember. So it's just like – it was just one of those nights, I think, first game. But uh, if, if teams want to give him those shots, I think Craig's going to be like, okay, yes. we'll take those. Thank you very much, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, a little bit on, more on Marcus, because, you know, I think we've seen Mitch a lot where he's played in these games where the shot isn't there and he can still affect the game in other ways. So I don't know, and if, if you disagree, feel free to just jump in. I don't know that we're all that surprised that Mitch was still able to have his imprint on the game in other manners, like rebounding, uh, distri- ball distribution. Um, I thought his defense was pretty good. I was pretty surprised. You know, he got drove, driven on a little bit, but he didn't really give um, as much space as he normally does getting back. I was going to say, didn't he cut the lane? No, did he actually get driven all the way to the rim? I thought there were times when he kind of got beat, but he recovered. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, that's what I mean. He got driven, but not all the way to the to the basket. Yeah, so he was able to wall up and, and be tough, be strong. Um, and I think he forced a travel or two even on those little up and under moves. North Dakota State had like three or four travels on those moves. Um, I think Mitch caused a couple of those. So I'm not really surprised that he was able to impact the game, even though the three ball wasn't up to his normal level. Marcus, though, has kind of shown an, like an inability to shake off a bad shooting game and kind of let it eat at him a little bit within the game and then probably um, not play well in other areas. But I thought today wasn't an example of that. I thought he was really good at staying on the attack, uh, being aggressive with his shot, even though it wasn't falling, um, and looking for his opportunities to score, um, and also getting guys involved, like driving uh, to draw defenders and kick. He had a really nice um, baseline drive where he kind of like just, you know, shovel pass it to Christian Bishop for an easy dunk that's going to go. That's, that's two points automatic right there. Um, assistance turnover ratio is really good, six to one. I know everybody had a good assistance turnover ratio, but when your point guard is at six to one, you're usually doing the right things. Um, and then there was one move, like, where I don't think I've seen it before. He had a drive late where he finished, like, it was a fancy finish. It was like, oh, that's a new Mar- that's a new Marcus move right there. Like, so he's been – he's got some new tricks in his bag because that was not a normal, you know, elevate to the finger roll, up to the rim type of move. He was – it was, it was I thought, fancy. Uh, I thought both of those drives in the second half were nice. Yeah. And they were also a good sign for, for Creighton fans because, like you said, it was sort of his determination and ability to shake off the the air ball, mm-hmm. the, the front rim, the, the shots that he thinks he can hit, they don't fall. But he's still into the game and recognizes the lane to the bucket and takes it. And, yeah, he had that nice finish. I can't, from, from the very top of the arena, it looked really nice. But yeah. I, gotta, I, need, I never saw the replay, so. Yeah, I'll take was, your word for it that it was it was it was it new. Was, it was nasty. I was like, "Ooh, what is that? That's gonna that's gonna avoid some shot blockers in the future." And and uh, I guess Mitch Ballack had a crossover that he didn't he didn't do a step back front with it or do he kind of passed right after it. But he had a crossover dribble that like the bench erupted. Really? When, when he busted, <laughs> it was a quick. It was a quick sort of cross crossover back backward. And uh, and the defender went the other way, and the bench reacted like, "We haven't seen that from you, sir." But he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. If if he would have done the step back, Mitch yeah. isn't going gonna to give us a step back. I don't think. I know. It was only. I think the only one we've really seen is like, what was that Providence one on the road to beat the shot clock? Oh yeah, yeah. Right here. 
That one, he had to do ridiculous stuff to get the shot on. So that was one. And then the 11-3 game against the ball, I felt like he did a whole bunch of crazy nonsense yeah. to get shots off. So, yeah. Um, that's going to about wrap us up uh, for our analysis of, of game one. Um, the Jays are back on the floor, scheduled to be back on the floor uh, Tuesday, early evening, 4 p.m. tip-off against uh, UNO um, at the CHI Health Center. Uh, so given the start time of that, we might, we might try to podcast that night, but you know, all this stuff is kind of going to be kind of just subject to day to day and what our schedules are like. So we'll try to be back in your guys' lives soon. Um, hopefully it's, it's hopefully our absence isn't because Creighton isn't playing at the same time. Um, and, but, but as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in and, and, uh, following the coverage and everything. Um, uh, just to, to plug some stuff, John's got uh, a great season preview going at Omaha.com. Do you have any features in the works that you want to tease for people? Well, I'm going to write about Reef, uh, okay. Sharif, and, and a point guard at UNO, IOF and Wally, um, ahead of the UNO game. So that's coming up. Okay. So look okay. for that between now and Tuesday. Um, obviously, John's post-game coverage will be up tonight if not already i don't know if it's already up. i haven't checked um omaha.com um what's the subscription going on what do you guys have i haven't asked you that in freaking almost a year <laughs> what's the subscriptions do you have any deals going on for people it's extremely cheap extremely cheap that's what i'm saying yeah. it's extremely cheap you and won't even know it. you won't even know it that, yeah. that you're even paying for it so last like, year and last year i was selling like what john's got a baby coming so now he now the little guy needs some Christmas presents. So you gotta you gotta get a subscription to the Omaha Little Herald. John's covered. and he's got a January birthday, so it's like right. that back See, to back. That, John's in a tough spot as a as a father. He's got to mm-hmm. spoil his kid. Like it's tough. the first one. So January birthday, Christmas coming up, um, and John's coverage is worth it. Like that's it's not even like it's not even we're not even like begging for you to do. It's beneficial to you to pay for John's coverage, um, and then obviously white and blue review will have. Um, post game coverage, this podcast, all that thing. Check out the YouTube page. We got a bunch of good stuff on there um, that I'm trying to <laughs> keep going because it's just like easier to execute. And we haven't utilized the YouTube page that much on a hi- outside of highlight reels. Um, so check that out. Um, and we will be back in your lives, uh, you know, whenever, as soon as possible, hopefully. But in the meantime, John, thanks for hopping on. Appreciate you. Always good to see you and chat with you. Um, be well. Thank you, sir. Same to you.